If you're here for the first time, there's a sheet around your seat there somewhere, just like that. Grab a hold of that one moment and turn to the book of Numbers with me, please. Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21 and verse 1. Just going to read a few scriptures. Numbers chapter 21. We're working our way through the Bible. Um, I'll try and spend one week on each book, just one sermon or maybe two. Sometimes there's so much stuff in a book we can't move on too quickly. And this one was so important I didn't want to leave it because there's some real good things in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 21 and verse 1 says this. When the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming along the road to Athrum, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. Then Israel made this vow to the Lord, If you will deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. The Lord listened to Israel's plea and gave the Canaanites over to them. They were completely destroyed and their towns, so the place was named Horma. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But look at this next part. But the people grew impatient on the way. The people grew impatient. They spoke against God and they spoke against Moses. And they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. That miserable food, by the way, folks, was the bread of heaven. It was angels' food, miraculously provided every day by God. And they called it miserable food. Kind of need to watch your mouth there, don't you? Scary. And look at, the, at verse 6. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people. And many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned. When we spoke against the Lord and against you, pray to the Lord that He will take away these snakes from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked at the snake, he lived. I got saved about 20 years ago, and that's good and bad. <laughs> it's good because you gain experience along the way, but it's bad. Please listen, folks. It's bad because very often, well, so many different people here. Everybody's got a different nature. Jeanette, I, I applaud you for this. Jeanette never loses her gratitude. She has consistently grown closer to God since the day I met her. It's fantastic. Everybody's different. But I've got a certain nature, and for me, I can take the things of God for granted. Can you? Many people are like that. I can take God for granted. And you know what, folks? You know churches, the problems that we have as leaders in churches, it's not new believers. New believers are typically a delight. <laughs> They're easy, easy to work with, a pleasure. New believers tend to have very few attitudes. New believers tend to be full of gratitude. And anything you ask them to do, they do it without complaining, without moaning. You know where I'm going, don't you? <laughs> because that's the book of Numbers, you see. And that's the book we're on. The book of Numbers is the story of the people of God in later years. 
The people of God in the third and the fourth and the fifth generation, the people of God who had fallen for it, what? They had fallen for the trap of familiarity, becoming over-familiar with the things of God. Now, please listen, folks. Listen to this. Do you know what? How would you react if an angel appeared to you? Do you know Elijah? Elijah had walked for so long with God and been around the church, if you like, for so long that an angel appeared. And do you know what Elijah did? Uh, so what? So what? And that's, it's amazing, but that's the place that we can very quickly get to. And for different people, it happens at different stages. But it's something that the book of Numbers warns us about, not only warns us about, but God is a good God. And He gives us a, a way out. He gives us an antidote. And that's what I want to look at this morning, because there's more there than meets the eye. If, if you've been raised in a Christian home, how about, in fact, put your hands up. If your parents went to church and you went to church, hands up, please. Wow, that's nearly the, well, it's well over half particularly to those of you who have been in church a long time, and I'm talking to myself, God warns us about the middle years. So you've been going to church 10 years, 15, 20. He starts through this book and in the New Testament, be careful, be careful of becoming over-familiar with God because that will lead you to a lack of, gra of gratitude for the things of God. And if we fail to heed this lesson at the lower years of our Christian life, then the big temptation comes in the wilderness. And it's a temptation to betray everything that God has really saved us for. I've written just three things, but there are many things that we can betray or become traitors to in our lives. The first one is the, the awesome privilege, folks, of being born again. And I ask you to stop and think a moment. Is your next-door neighbor going to heaven or hell? What about your brothers and sisters? Are they going to heaven or hell? What about your fellow students or your colleagues? What about your friends? You see, we have an, an amazing privilege that slips from our view, and we forget after time. We grow cold very often over time, and we forget the amazing privilege of being saved, of being a child of God and all that that means. I told you this story before, but there was a guy I witnessed to. I've never forgotten him. His name was Tony, and he worked as a caretaker in a place I worked in, and day after day, I would witness to him. You know, I saw that man, it seemed to me, repent. I saw him turn from sin. I saw him cry out to God, but I never saw him saved. And I would go to him and I would say, let's pray together, Tony. Let's do this. Let's do that. And one of the last things he ever said to me as I was walking away, God help him. I hope he got saved. But he said, Mike, you're the luckiest guy in the world. Because I was saved. He knew I was saved. And I couldn't understand his plight. I just know this. He was crying out and something, somehow he couldn't find God. I don't know what was going on there. But when I walked away that day, I suddenly became, God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Did I forget? Have I forgotten that God had to take on flesh? Have I forgotten that the Son of God 
is now forever in a body. Forever. That he laid aside his majesty, stepped in to become incarnate, crucified. Have I forgotten this? This is an awesome privilege. And that's what you can forget over time. And we become casual with the things of God. People around the world, and I know it's commonly said, folks, but it's true. People are starving to death this morning. And you, I presume, had breakfast. We have food. We have health. We have freedom, Christian freedom. We have great privileges. And these people here, remember these things happened them so that they wouldn't happen to you. They forgot. God delivered them. God helped them. God blessed them. And they forgot. They forgot the awesome privilege. And that was a great danger to them because God's not mocked. God's not mocked. There's a sad end to this story. I hope there's not a sad end to ours. And that's why it's in the book. That's why it's there as a warning to us. So, number one, do not betray the great privilege of being born again. Secondly, these people really became traitors to their own potential. And every one of us folks, when we're born again, the potential is awesome, limitless, as Dr. Aseng made very clear last week. Limitless potential that God has placed upon you. You have a gift. Every person here has a gift. So whatever you do, don't squander that gift because of bad attitudes. Don't waste that gift. And don't, by the way, you can't take that gift somewhere else, you know, and try and use it because callings are geographical. Amen. Callings are geographical. So if you've got a gift and God's called you to use that gift, guess where you have to use it? Right here. And many people, you know, many, many, many people over the years say, well, Pastor Mike's not going to use me. Well, I'll go here and they'll use me and I'll show him. I'm sorry, you don't understand the principles of the kingdom. Callings are geographical and there's only one place that your gift will actually be properly used with grace and peace and fruit. And that's the place where you're supposed to be. You understand? It's not that simple. And that's betrayal of your gifting. It's very easy to portray your potential. And every person here has potential. They lost theirs because they developed ungrateful hearts, bad attitudes. They became over-familiar with the things of God. And ultimately, they became pessimistic and couldn't see the future. And that's a, a, a tragic way to be. Remember the 12 spies? Only two came back with a positive report. Now, folks, you see what happens? Many believers is they get saved, and maybe you came from a Christian background, they come into the, this arena, if you like, the wilderness era, right here. Take a look at this board. Just focus up here, folks. Attention. Look, it's important. We come from a Christian background very often, and we run into the temptation of betraying everything. Look what people do. They go back out. They go back to the beginning. They go back to... Try and find an easier way. What's this here? What's this? Life After Love. Who remembers this series? One year ago, listen to this, folks. One year ago, Sunday morning, there's a couple sitting on the back row down there. And I introduced this series about being a husband. And I tell you what I'm going to share. For the next eight weeks, we're going to talk about sex, marriage, how to lead your wife, how, if necessary, to discipline your wife. 
how to keep your wife under control, it's all in there, etc. Listen, there was a guy sitting on the back row, never came back, never came back. Why? Terrified! I don't want to talk about that! I'll go somewhere where I don't have to face that. I'll go somewhere where I don't have to hear about leading my home. I don't want to talk about sex, even though it can ruin so many marriages, wreck so many homes and lives. I don't want to hear about the fact that I have the responsibility to have a, a family altar. So instead, you know what I'll do? I won't face the challenges. I will leave. I'll go to another church where they're not going to deal with that. And I'll stay there until they challenge me to change, and then I'll go to another one, and then I'll go to another one, and then I'll go to another one. And this is the story of the Old Testament. And as it's Father's Day, folks, I thank God for the reaction of 99.9% .9 of you because you've been sharing with me. Gordon reads a chapter of the Bible every day to his wife, and Helen reads one back to him. Everson has a family altar when he's home. Praise the Lord. Davis has the same. And as the men share with me, I'm absolutely delighted. Well done. But it is not the answer, folks. It's not your future to run away from the challenges, right? It's not your future. Don't be afraid, men. One of the things that Leanne just mentioned, right? Courage. Take courage and be that leader. And don't hide. You do not need to. Amen. Amen. They got frightened here, and they ended up back in the land of no promise. They ended up going round in circles, and that's the whole purpose of the book of Numbers, is to guide us that we can enter into the promised life, the promised land. Amen. We truly can. I want you to notice just a few things. The people, the Hebrew people, now this is a lesson for us. This is shown so that we don't make these mistakes. It wasn't because of the golden calf that they didn't enter the promised land. It wasn't some great big sin. What was it? Why did they not enter? Attitudes? Bad attitudes? It was two particular things, gossip and complaining. And God actually swore by himself. I just want you to notice that it wasn't some great big thing. It was two things. It was gossip about Moses, and it was complaining about God. And God said, you know what? I swear by myself. Because you have gossiped about the leader I appointed, because you have spoken and complained, I swear by myself, you will not enter the promised land. You will all die out, and I will raise up a new gen. So strong, those words. You know, many people over the years come to me and have asked me this question. What is the unforgivable sin? Jesus said there was an unforgivable sin. What is the unforgivable sin? because I need to know if I have committed it, <laughs> right? And you get so many, you know, spurious answers to that question. What is the unforgivable sin, by the way? Do you know what it is? It's whenever God is moving and you say he isn't. It's what, that's what the Pharisees did. God was moving and they said, it is by Beelzebub he does this, all right? That's the unforgivable sin, to lie about the function and the activity of the Holy Spirit. And God says that's something that will never be forgiven. And you see, this is why really Israel got cut off. 
Because God was moving. God was using Moses. Do you get it? I mentioned to you last week about Shane Comiskey, Ray Belfield, or Rick Seward, and I said, anybody ever hear me say a bad word? Come. Folks, I think, you know, from the comments I had, I don't think you understand. Goody two-shoes? <laughs> no, no, you don't get it. Why would I not speak about them? Number one reason. Protect myself. I want to protect myself. There's a living God. Don't you understand? Of course I will honor the structure, but that's not the first motivation. That won't last. You don't understand. You know, the number one reason is because I understand that there's an awesome God out there, and I'm accountable to Him, and He hears every word that comes out of my mouth. So don't underestimate it, you see. And these things are written in big print in your Bible, so they're not small issues. Just this week alone, I've had at least three or four hours counsel with different individuals who's, and I thank God, this church is absolutely fantastic. You guys are great in terms of gossip. We have very few gossips in this church. There's only about three or four. Yeah. No, there's only, I'm talking about a bad spirit. There's only about three or four people. One man, he's gone now. There's only about three women left. Every pastor knows who they are. No problem. What do you do? You do what Moses did. You pray for them. You pray for them. They need help. They don't understand. By the way, that, these guys didn't understand, but it didn't help them into the promised land. Right? God cares about that. I, I have no judgment for gossips at all. You know that? Absolutely none. I don't think any less of a gossip than I think of you, Jeanette. You understand me? It's not, a, it's not an issue of judgment. If you judge others, friends, <laughs> there's plenty of fingers pointing back at you. I don't judge a smoker. I don't judge the alcoholic. That's not my job. My job is to help everyone, right? But these people in this situation, they really, really messed up. And God did something amazing. I mean, first of all, they encountered judgment. On the back of your notes, take a look at that sheet. Take a look at this. A little bit of Hebrew here. You'll like this, Gordon. There you go. Hebrew letters. Every Hebrew letter is actually a picture, and the pictures depict different things. For instance, on your notes there, this first letter is the letter Shin, and that letter represents, as a picture, form of God. The second letter here is the letter Het, and that's a picture of a fence. The third letter is the letter Nom, and that's the picture for a fish. And together, these three letters spell snake. Now, look, just look up here a moment. Fish, who's that? Fish, who's that? You. God. What's in the middle? A fence. What does the snake do? The snake comes to put a fence between you and God. Amazing Hebrew, isn't it? And then look at the word for cross. There was ancient Hebrew. And there's modern Hebrew. Ancient Hebrew, very simply, across modern Hebrew is a little bit more complicated, but that's called a tav, by the way, that particular letter. Now, look at the word for bronze. By the way, bronze in the Bible, anything that's bronze is judged. It represents judgment. Now, look at the word for bronze. 
It's the same word that we have up here for snake, okay? Except, look what's in front of it. A cross. You see? I just mentioned this because Moses, God told Moses, make this here. Excuse me. Our props department have been busy. <laughs> Hallelujah. God said to Moses a very strange thing. He said, Moses, go and get a pole and make a snake of bronze and hold it up and everything will be okay. Right, God. Thank you very much. That's what I'll do. Moses had to do some wacky stuff. Hold the snake up and everybody who looks at this will live. Wow. What's that all about? Well, it depends if we understand the Hebrew. That's what it's all about. The snake, the devil in the Garden of Eden comes to put a division between you and God. But God has, through the cross, has judged the snake. He's judged. He's bronzed the serpent. And this last one here, the eagle, once again, that, this sign here means Lord or leader. And there's the word for God. There's the word for... This is the word for eagle in Hebrew. Now look at what, it's, what, what it basically... When a Christian makes the Lord their leader, they become as an eagle. Hallelujah. Amazing. So what was all this snake about? If I can just prop him up there somewhere, our little friend here. What was the snake about and what was God trying to tell the people? Well, I'll tell you what he was trying to say. Every one of you and me, listen folks, bad attitudes. Bad attitudes will rise up within you. And that's what happened to pe the, the people of Israel. Have you got, do you suffer from anger? Look up here a minute. Everybody look up. Everybody look up. Do you suffer from anger? Do you know what will happen? Anger will rise up. Can you not keep your mouth shut? Are you a gossip? Gossip will rise up. Right? And God wanted them to see, show them, show them their problems and show them when anger rises up in you. I have judged anger, but I saved you. I saved you. I'm not against you. I destroyed the devil. When evil tries to rise up in you, understand it's bronze. It's been bronzed. You see, folks, we, won't, we could spend weeks on this. But once the people... Look, listen to me, please, and it can change your future. You see, when you open your mouth, snake bite. Open, bite. Op Go on, open your mouth. Open your mouth. Slap your thigh. Open your mouth, slap your thigh. I want you to remember, every time... You open your mouth with a negative word, you get a snake bite. And what does the snake put in your system? Venom. Poison. And that starts to come out in bitterness, in anger, and one bad attitude leads to another bad attitude. And God saw the people and they were so full of self-condemnation. They hated themselves. It was a miserable experience for them in the wilderness. They went from bad to worse to worse to worse. They were full of venom, full of bitterness and anger and rage and jealousy and everything you could think of. You see? And God had been a good father. God said, please, don't, please understand. Evil will rise up. But I have judged it. I have judged it on the cross. 
I have judged evil, and I have saved you. So don't see this as your identity. And don't cooperate with it, but rather rise above it. And I ask you to, don't make these mistakes, folks. Don't make these mistakes. Whatever tries to rise up within you, God simply wants you to see Jesus Christ on the cross. In fact, you can turn to that in John's Gospel. Take a look at this. John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 14. John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 14. Take a look at this in your Bible. John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 14. What does it say? Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that all who see him may equally have the chance of living. You know, Moses used a, God, sorry, used a very specific word there. There's two Hebrew words for look. The first word is very simple. It's the word ra'ah, and it just means to look, just in a casual or common way. But there's another word, and that's the word God used. It's the word hebiet. And it's a completely different word. It means to look with faith. It means to look with great expectancy. Like a drowning man might look at a lifeguard. You look with faith. You look with belief. You look with a pleading, if you like. And that's the look that God is looking for from you. That whatever... You see, folks, remember, see this cross. Look at this cross. Look at this here. Some of you have come this morning with anger. Now, you can leave with it, and that's the mistake, because God wants you to, to see one thing, friend. Are you angry? Well, I judged anger. I judged it. Christ was crucified for it. So leave it at the cross and let a better attitude be in you. Are you proud? Well, I judged pride. I don't want to judge you. I want to set you free. But you know what the, our problem is? We can't see it. Have yet. We can't see it. And so someone will come this morning and they will, they will see it. They'll come with a proud heart or an angry heart and they will see that Christ died and that does not have to be their future. And they will actually leave it at the cross. And when you see a healing meeting or a deliverance meeting, when a hundred people come in sick, and 99 go out sick, but one got healed. Do you know what happened to that one person? Heb yet. Heb yet. They, maybe for the first time, they saw it. I'm free. Do you know what happened to you? One of, many years ago, you were carrying your own sin. You were a sinner. You were lost. But the day came when you, for the first time, saw this for, for your salvation. The day came when you looked at the cross and it changed and it came to life. That's Hebiet. That's looking with faith, looking and receiving your own deliverance. And all God is saying in Numbers, and it's a very kind book, a very kind piece of Scripture, if we can only see it. He's trying to say to you and to me, please, don't underestimate how dangerous your attitudes can be. Because a bad attitude, either to God or to His servants, they got cut off, folks. This is scary stuff. They got cut off. But God takes this stuff very, very seriously indeed. 
So let's analyze this. We're going to have communion today. Perfect day to have communion. And I want you to leave at the cross. Do you know the word for snake bite? Do you know the word God used? It's the same word for debt or usury. The same pain that gets inflicted with a mortgage debt or something like that. Hallelujah. For these things too, he wants you to look to the cross and to leave all your... We, we sing it, don't we? Cast your burdens onto Jesus because he cares for you. But do we do it in faith? And do we have the ability to actually leave them there? We're going to have communion this morning. In fact, I'll invite the worship team back. We're going to have communion, but we're going to do it just a little bit differently. We're going to do it just a little bit differently, and it's this. If you want to leave something at the cross, then I want you to take an action. I want you to take a step. And I'm going to invite you just to come out of your seat and to come and take communion. And when you do, and you pick up that bread and wine, you can go back to your seat. And please hold on to it because Kay is going to sing a song to us. If you want to leave something at the cross this morning, if you want to see this for anything in your life, then I invite you right now, just come forward and take the bread and the wine.